thank you, Rick, for going in. And, and we have, because of the snow, uh, kind of has, has bumped our schedule one one Sunday. So you'll we'll, we have one more disc to go in the adult uh, Sunday school, and then uh, and I'll be we'll be continuing in John next Lord's Sunday, Lord willing, and then Dad will be back in the pulpit uh, starting in February, right? <clears throat> We're talking about this young man who was uh, has spent all these years in um, drinking. Uh, actually, all these years, I mean, thirty-five is pretty. Uh, this is very shocking to be in that kind of condition. Uh, your your liver <clears throat> is one of the most undersung organs in your body. It does something like two hundred different functions for you. Uh, basically keeps your your blood balance of your hormones and your blood the toxicity levels of things in your blood balanced you know so uh, your liver is the one that takes the hit when you abuse it or down chemicals and things that abuse your body yeah. anyway, um, but I was thinking about his what the pastor said to him and um, you know, <clears throat> In a few chapters in John, John 15, Jesus says, every branch in me that bears fruit, the Father brings. But the Father, the, the word is actually cleans. Uh, God cleans us. Uh, he prunes us that we bear more fruit. But every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the Father cuts off. So the word of God does two things. It, it, uh, in some cases, it, it cuts off people. And it was interesting is that in both cases, the branches are in Jesus, as they claim some kind of affiliation or association with him. And he says this right after dismissing Judas, who is the final branch to be cut off. Uh, we've already read in John 6, uh, a number of the disciples, of, not the disciples like the 12, but a number of disciples that had followed him. Remember John 6, 66, uh, Jesus is saying, that you eat my flesh, drink my blood. And they were offended by that, right? They kept getting more and more offended the further we get into that chapter. And by John 6, 66, it says, for this reason, many of them left and came back. They didn't follow him, right? The word of God cuts off people who are, who are not saved. But those who are, uh, you get pruned. <laughs> so it's going to cut you either way, right? But... Uh, yeah. So anyway, John chapter 10, let's have a word of prayer and, and come before the Lord and ask him to bless our time. Father, um, thank you for your word. <clears throat> And we submit ourselves to it. We, we recognize that, that it is your word, uh, not opinions, uh, not um, wishful thinking, or a. Um, sometimes I feel like uh, some services that I've been to or seen are kind of like a pep rally. And uh, in a sense, there's, there's a sense in which we want to. to have encouragement and we do get encouragement from the word and, and and this john 10 is a precious passage it talks about 
the access that we have with Father through you, that you are the door and then that you are the good shepherd. And there's there's a lot of comfort here, but there's also some warning. And there is uh, there is the possibility of being cut off um, um, by the same Lord. So there's a, there's a sense in which, as John said in Sunday School Hour, we want to come in humility and accept the word of God. Uh, thank you for for your grace, and we don't want to take it for granted. We don't want to come here uh, in, in, in arrogance um, with, with, or just maybe uh, an attitude of, well, this is boring, and whatever, but we, we thank you for your word, and I pray that you would open it to us and, and help us to hear by your Holy Spirit what you want to say to us and to apply it into our lives for your glory. Help us to grow. Uh, and <clears throat> while there is a com comfort encouragement, there is some fear, but there's also, um, we, we don't have to, to, we can come here with our hurts and with our wounds and with our, our sin and, and know that you accept us in the life, uh, not because we have our act together, but because you have undertaken to call us uh, by name. And we know your voice if we're in your community. We know your voice. And we know the truth when we hear it. And again, not because we deserve it or we're smarter than other people or we're just better than others, but because of your choice. Uh, and, and that's just uh, an amazing, amazing truth. Again, open your word to us by your spirit this morning. Move me aside. Let your word speak to us. To us. Amen. <clears throat> Okay, I have um, three copies of the I Am the Door of the Sheep notes here. Does anybody need a copy this morning? I am. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. One more? Right. Okay. Last one's there. And um, I don't know, Dave, if you could maybe share with the folks online, that would be great. Right. working on it this is part two uh so last last time we looked at um uh just just sort of a, a reminder or a re revisit of the short parenthetical study we had done very early on and, and that's what i'm referencing there on on the, the the table at the top of your notes jesus reveals two i am two more i am metaphors remember that uh, this this phrase I am is an unusual Greek construction. Uh, ego ami is what it is in the Greek, and it's um, you would usually a Greek speaker would usually put those two words together. Uh, in, in English, we we say I am all the time, right? I, you know, I am sick or I'm feeling better. I, you know, I am this. I am that. Um, so it, it doesn't stand out to us that much, which is why it's important for us to review it. But but the way that the Lord uses it you know, in Greek is, is an unusual construction. But particularly as he's speaking to a Hebrew audience, um, especially when he's talking to the Jewish leaders. And you know that the Jews, John refers to Jewish leaders in the Gospel of John as the Jews, right? So whenever he is, is when Jesus is talking to the Jews, he would use this special construction like this to say, I am the door, right? And, and by doing that, what he's doing is 
he's not just using an unusual Greek construction, but he's also uh, using what you might call a Hebrewism, okay? That is, that is a special uh, um, phrase uh, known in Hebrew to go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3, where when Moses was being called by God, you can remember the story of, of, of Moses, and, and I'm actually reading that in another study in my daily quiet time now, so it's kind of good to go back through that. But Moses um, was, was uh, he killed the Egyptian, and he was um, in the wilderness there for a while. The backside of the wilderness is what it says, which I, I, I like that. I think it was something like 40 years, right? And, and uh, he is, uh, he knows that there's been a call, but man, talk about a humbling experience. And, and finally, one day, out of the blue, unannounced, he sees this bush on fire, right? And what was unusual? That the bush was burning? No, it wasn't consumed. right? Any bush can burn. <laughs> it's a rare thing when the bush is on fire but doesn't burn up. That's what you want. <clears throat> so much to say about that. The Lord is... What, there's a million ways that God could have chosen to get his attention. <clears throat> and uh, that one particularly, though, uh, speaks not only to Moses, but to us. You know, you've heard the people say, "Being, I want to be on fire for God. Problem is, who's generating fire? Mm -hmm. right? It's better to say, it's more biblical to say, I want to be on fire with the Lord. The bush was on fire with God. If the bush had been on fire for God, it had been like every other bush. Consumed, right? Burns for a while. Ooh, that's kind of cool. <coughs> it's fun to watch fire. I like I'm fire maniac. I like that. But um, but it burned up. But there's a lesson there, and the lesson to Moses and to us is that it's you just be the bush. You're just available. You're just there's nothing special about the bush. Just be available and let God do the burning, right? Let Him be the one who speaks through you. And if you try to do it by yourself, you're going to burn out. Right? You're going to burn up. But it's in that in that context then that um, that Moses says to him, well, you know, it's 400. It's, I'm putting some words there, but a little history here, right? It's been 400 years since the last time we heard from you, you know, and and, and the people are going to want to know your name. What do I tell them? And and it, and, and God tells him, I am that I am. He doesn't say how, you know, come on, I'm God, man. What are you asking me for a name for, right? No. He gives him a name <coughs> that is, in English, translates to I am, that I am, okay? And so when Jesus uses this special construction, I am the good shepherd, or I am the bread of life, or I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the resurrection, and the life, all of that, what he's doing is he's, linking himself to that covenant name that God gave to Moses to tell the people Israel that they are about to be delivered out of Egypt by I am. And what's strange about that construction is that it's it's not a complete thought, right? I mean it is, but it isn't. It, I am I am what? Right? It is a statement of being all right, that's what we call an ontological statement. In other words, I'm talking about the essence of who I am, right, or, 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 or something about myself, my character, my, my 
my promises, my personality. But Jesus comes later. Not only is he associating himself with that name to say that he is that covenant-making God, but now he's going to say, I am the bread of life. Or I am, in, in our case here, I am the door. Meaning, I'm here to fill in the rest of that sentence. And I love that. I love that. Okay? He is the fulfillment of everything that God has for his people. Okay? They didn't realize that then. I believe it was actually Jesus in a pre-incarnate form in that bush that was speaking to Moses. I believe that's who that was. And here he is many, many centuries later, right, <clears throat> talking to these Pharisees. And remember, it is the Pharisees. Uh, go back to the to the uh, last few verses of chapter 9, and we find out that, that it's the Pharisees who got confused of, about what Jesus is, is or actually, no, uh, back in chapter 9, they're saying, are we blind also, right? So this man that was born blind, Jesus says, you know, for does not come to the world that those who see may be made blind. And, and, and they say, are you speaking about us? And it's almost as if Jesus says, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> and then he goes into the first five verses of chapter 10, and, and, and he doesn't apply this to himself, but he just simply lays out this scenario of how shepherding is to be done, right? The shepherd owns the sheep. They know he knows them by name. They know his voice. Anybody who comes in a different way is trying to sneak in at night, maybe steal some sheep, right? And or 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 uh, uh, form some harm to them, that type of thing. The door open, the doorkeeper, the porter knows the shepherd, and oh yeah, yeah, you you're the one who has the legitimate right to come in. He lays that scenario out. He sets the stage, if you will. But then verse 6 tells us they did not understand, right? And it's, it's a, given the context of this, it's pretty clear that this is the, the Pharisees, which, which it's not that they didn't understand his words, and it's not that they didn't understand shepherding. What they don't understand is how it applies, right? They're still kind of in the dark. Thank God that Jesus didn't say, well... Too bad for you. I'm out of here, right? So the Lord in his grace picks up where we are, which is in verse 7. And he gives us now, uh, he gives them, and by extension us as well, two more of these great I am statements that he's made. Okay. So this is number three and number four. And you can see on the, on the top of your notes there, <clears throat> I've, I've re-summarized all of these seven I am statements uh, these I'm calling them metaphors, okay? These I am metaphors in John, where they're found, and you can see little markers there. So we're we're gonna we're gonna study here in chapter ten, uh, number three and number four. That is, I am the door, and I am the good shepherd. Um, <clears throat> what I've done here too, I should mention, <clears throat> is I've ex kind of expanded the thought here. All right. So for example. Um, in chapter 6, you see the very first one there that says, I am the sincere, genuine, living bread that imparts life and is from heaven. Okay? Now, if you look at how many times Jesus says, I am, or some variation on I am the bread, uh, you'll see there's actually four verses <clears throat> in chapter 6. He says it four times. But he says it slightly 
tweaked, if you will, slightly different aspects of that same core idea, the same metaphor of him being the bread. So what I've done here is I've brought all that together. Uh, and the same, the same here with these two. So he's going to say twice in chapter 10 that I am the door, and then he's going to say it again twice that I am the good shepherd. Okay. So these statements bring together everything that he has said related to that metaphor in one statement. Okay. All right. Is that clear? Mm -hmm. All right. So all background to 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 where we are, where we've been, and and why we are here, where we are. You remember also that we saw, um, let me just take you to page two there, and let's read that top paragraph again. Um, not to belabor the point too much, but I think it's important that, that we fully set the stage. As we read through these two I am metaphors of the door and the good shepherd, we should remember that they come, they come in response to the audience of Jewish leaders who apparently ask for clarity on what he means. For them, these metaphors bring judgment as recorded in Ezekiel 34. Remember, we just have a little bit of time to look at Ezekiel 34. That passage about Okay, So they knew this. They had Ezekiel 34 and other passages in mind where God promises to judge the bad shepherds of Israel who instead of leading the sheep into the blessings of God, have instead blessed themselves at the expense of those sheep. Wow. However, the same metaphor also, metaphors also come to the disciples and anyone else who worships Jesus, <coughs> like the man born blind did in chapter 9, as great and precious promises. For access to God's atonement for sin, blessing, protection, guidance, and ultimate... Um, an ultimate with the Father in the eternal kingdom that he is honoring his son with. Jesus is both the Savior and the judge, the one who lets some in and keeps others out. Okay. Don't miss that. That's what a door does, doesn't it? We'll talk a bit more about that here in a minute. Who selectively calls some and not others. How this passage speaks to us depends on which side of Christ we stand. One thing that really stands out that they have a line that went back and forth and you kind of played tennis on it. Yeah. Never let some in and keep some out. Right? Right. Um, the same is true with the shepherd. He calls his own sheep by name, which means there are other sheep there who don't respond. In fact, he's going to tell them that later on at the end of this chapter. There's kind of a little time break in there of about two months, and, and the tail end of chapter 10 happens uh, at the feast of uh, what we call today the Feast of Hanukkah. John calls it the, calls it the Feast of Dedication. Um, when he comes back to the temple, and they're all angry, and they gather around him like one of these angry mobs that you see on YouTube, you know, and they're, they're, they're ready to stone him. They are really sick. <clears throat> and he says, the reason you don't hear me is you're not my sheep. <clears throat> and so um, this there's what I'm saying here is that is that um, 
for those who are in Christ, these are great words, right? There's so much comfort here. And when we look at the good shepherd, especially that, that one's really well known because you see the heart of the shepherd. He loves his sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep, right? And all of this. And it's just great words of comfort. If you're one of his sheep. If you're not, not so much. Okay, so let's uh, let's dig into this. Let's uh, look at our outline here. Relationship of the door to the false leaders. Um, that's point number one. Point number two is relationship of the door to the sheep, and then and then point number main point number three is the contrast of the effect on the sheep of the bad versus the good leaders, which is kind of interesting. Okay. Um, so let's break this down. Let's start with uh, with verse 7. Uh, it says here, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Remember verse 6, just before that, says that they didn't understand the figure of speech that he had just given them, right? They knew, again, like I said a second ago, they knew he's not just saying, Hey, guys, let me tell you how shepherding works, right? They know, they, they understand that there's a point he's trying to make. He set the stage, and they're kind of like, okay, <coughs> listen. So Jesus goes back again now with the same statement with which he opened chapter 10. Truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, okay? So, okay, I'm starting back again, but this time I'm going to break it down in a way that's going to explain the, all the meanings behind what I've just said earlier, okay? And so listen up, pay attention. I am the door of the sheep. All right. In, in the scenario that he set up earlier, if you cast your eye back up there, um, the, door, the door has an important role. All right. He says, um, let's go back up to verse 1, for example. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not what? Enter. Enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way that man is a thief and a robber all right so immediately in the scenario that he pa has painted here you have some territory marked off it's 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 some kind of defined area that's called a sheepfold right you don't see i was thinking about about this and that I don't want to run too wild with this because they're, you know, but you don't typically, if you're looking out the door here, out, through, out the window, right, through this door out there, something, we got all these trees and we got some, we got a field out there and stuff. When's the last time you were just like driving by a road like this or something and you just see a door? Just a door, just all by itself, sitting in some field. When's the last time? So mattress. Standing upright. Now you may see, maybe go by wildlife zone. Quiet zone. Yeah, yeah. There's there's been a few imaginative. Um, I think in one of the Narnia books, I think I remember as a kid, there was some door that you see somebody like walking through. And, you know, it's kind of like standing there by itself. It's kind of weird. Um, you know, but it is a door going somewhere. But but. Fantasy aside, 
the reality is you never see that, right? Unless, you know, maybe it's Larry's junk pile or something. He's got an old board there ready to be burned in the silo or something. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. But in that case, you know, it's laying down and you just reckon. Point is, nobody just puts a door there, right? You don't, you don't just build a door. Here's my house coming up, right? That's crazy. A door has to have a context to it. It has to be set in a wall of some kind, mm -hmm. right? And it's it's there to provide access in and out. And and so so already we're 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 on board with this idea of discrimination. That that there are things that you want in, and there are things that you want to keep out, and there are things that you may even want to protect on the inside from influences coming that may come in, right? That's all wrapped up in this idea of the door. And we can see that. Look at verse two. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Okay. So first we had uh, those who climb in some other way. You've got, you've got some kind of structure here. There's a legitimate <coughs> door that has been planned to allow access in uh, to the sheepfold by the legitimate shepherd, right? The one who has the right to be there. But now you've got these others who try to sneak in over the wall or maybe coming in through, um, you know, burrowing, burrowing underneath or however they try to get in. It's the idea of, of uh, they're just not legitimate. And they, they he's going to say a little bit later, he's going to talk about the intent, right? So the intent of the, of the shepherd is to care for the sheep. But those who come in, the thieves and the robbers, have an evil intent. They profit themselves at the expense of the sheep. <clears throat> so, uh, verse three, to the gatekeeper, and I mentioned to you when we were going through this, lots of discussion about who the gatekeeper is here, you know, in the parables. The, the Lord never really explains that anywhere. His, as he unpacks this in the coming verses, we don't really see that explained. So I don't want to impose on that, other than to simply say that in that agrarian society, you know, they would hire a porter or somebody to watch that communal pen at night, right, while the shepherds would, would go get some rest. I mean, they're working with the sheep all day, right? Shepherds got to sleep sometime, right? So so they would do that. Sometimes uh, you've heard that the shepherd would lay down in front of the door. That's true. They would have they would have done that. But, but in the scenario they picture in here, the gatekeeper seems to be separate from the shepherd, okay? And it's just simply a hired person who would, would keep the gate and would know the shepherd when he arrived. That's the important thing Jesus is trying to get across, is that, is that the shepherd has a legitimate claim on his sheep. Others who try to sneak in some other way and get around that porter and get through the door, or denied entry through the door, so they try to get in some other way, are illegitimate, and they don't have a good intention. Then look at verse 4. When he has when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, they know his voice. When he has brought what? Out. How do they get out? Through the door, right? The shepherd comes in through the door, the porter recognizes him, lets him in. Sure, come on in. Yeah, you know, he calls his sheep by name, they gather to him, and they all jump over the wall. No, there's another door. <laughs> Goes through the door, right? 
It's, it's a simple idea. It's not complicated. It's a simple idea of access, but it's a simple idea of legitimate access. Keeping some in, protecting some in, letting them out when they need to be let out, letting others in who have a legitimate right to be there, but keeping others away. Right? Again, the door isn't just there by itself. The door is in the context of the sheep. So Jesus applies this door to himself here in verse 7. I am the door of the sheep. Notice the ownership. He doesn't say, I am the door. He says, I am the door of the sheep. Sheep. Okay. So this, the idea, the concept here is, is <coughs> that Jesus is there providing access for the sheep. Continue, um, if you will. Let's see. Um, look at verse 9, where he's going to say it again. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So the idea here is that he is that access by which the sheep, the legitimate access by which the sheep can come in and out, okay, um, of, his, of his kingdom. Actually, uh, we'll talk about the access um, uh, here in just a minute as to as to what that means. It may surprise you, but it's not probably as obvious as it may seem. Okay, when you combine all of this together, okay. It says, "I am the door of the sheep." He is the covenant-making God who provides access, legitimate access. Not like these others who are trying to find an illegitimate way, right? And so that's where the contrast then, that's letter B on your outline. Um, so he applies the, the, the door of the sheep of the sheepfold, that's letter A um, on your outline there, legitimate access to himself. Okay, next verse. Jesus applies the thieves and robbers to the bad shepherds of Israel and by extension to anyone else who misrepresents God and leads others astray. So that's verse 8. All who came before me are these are robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. Uh, I referenced on your notes there 2 Peter. I think 2 Peter really helps us. He is the purpose of 2 Peter. My wife and I are going through this now in our in our family um, our devotion time when we get together. <clears throat> Peter is, is essentially writing his second epistle to warn the believers about the same kind of thing, right? These are false teachers who will come into you and sneak in, right? It's that idea of, of stealth, right? They come in some other way, right? Um, they seem legitimate, and, and, and they, can, they can fool you. They're not coming in saying with a t-shirt that says, follow me to hell, you know? <laughs> They're coming in saying, "I." what's interesting is the way that the wording that Peter uses in chapter 2 and he introduces them is he says, just as there were prophets among the people then, there will be false prophets among the people that is, that is among the Israelite generations. There will be false teachers among you. And it's a different word in the Greek. It's not the same word, which tells me that what Peter is saying is, look, these are people who will come in 
under apostolic authority, right? So they're, they're not they're not saying necessarily. Some of them might come in and say, "Well, we're we're another uh, we're apostles." That, that's what was going on in the Corinthian church, right? They were super apostles. They tried to claim, tried to usurp Paul, or at least put themselves on an equal level of authority with Paul. But what Peter is saying is the subtlety of these people is that they come in claiming to bring the New Testament. An apostolic teaching, the gospel, and they'll come in with their false teachers. That's pretty cool. Not just to come in and you're saying, hey, I've got, you know, fourth Peter that I want to add to the Bible or something, you know, or whatever. You know, they're not, some of them will, again, try to add to the Bible. But these are people who come in under the authority of the Word of God. They say, okay, I'm representing the gospel. I'm here to to teach, but but they will lead you astray. Okay, and what we're referencing here is Second uh, Peter two one through three. But false prophets also <clears throat> rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will how secretly bring in destructive heresies to try to sneak in some other illegitimate. You hear the illegitimacy of that? It's a it's a problem of authority is what it is. Okay, <clears throat> coming their own authority, um, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will what? Exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and destruction is not asleep. Okay. So these are people who come in to exploit you in some form or fashion, but they're illegitimate. Well, what is it that makes them legitimate, makes a makes a, an under shepherd legitimate or, or not? Well, who cares for the sheep? Comes into Christ, Christ's authority. Right? He cares for the sheep because he recognizes that he also is under the authority of Jesus, right? Um, and so it's legitimacy is the is the issue. Back to chapter 10. When 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 he is applying this here in, in verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. Um, I don't think he has in mind here uh all, all, um, all of the spiritual leaders throughout Israel's history, right? I mean, that's, he recognizes Moses had a legitimate calling, right? In fact, we just got through talking about Moses' call. Uh, Elijah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, all of these guys, Daniel, they had calls from God, but they were not, they, they were, they were in uh, the Lord is not here dealing with false or, or true representatives of him. What's interesting to me as I was thinking about it is it's almost as if there's no distinction <laughs> that he draws here, at least, between himself personally and any representative, any true representative who is representing him to the sheep. What he's said, instead doing is saying that all the others whom the sheep did not listen to were thieves and robbers. That is, they came to take 
what is not yours. A thief and a robber, if I, if I come down here and I, and I grab this water, you know, nobody's going to argue with me, right? Hey, what are you taking my water for, right? Because this is mine. They've got this. That's mine. Don't you dare have this water. Um, but but if, if, if it is my wife's and, and, and I just grab it and take it, if I go take her water, she may, to, may let me do it, but to be kind of like, why don't you ask first, right? Because it's ownership. I don't have ownership over that water. It's her water. And, and you see what I'm saying? And so the thieves and the robbers come in, uh, listen, who don't have ownership of the sheep, and they they come in to take illegitimately what doesn't belong to them. And that's exactly what Peter is saying, is that these false teachers come in and exploit you with these words. Let me ask you this. <clears throat> when the Lord comes to his people, and he rescues us, and he provides this way through himself, of being able to come to the Father, right, and go in and out and find pasture and, and to, to grow in grace and the knowledge of God and these things. What is he try, what does he have a legitimate right to that the false teachers are trying to usurp, take for themselves? Well, he is their sheep, he's their owner. He's their owner, but what does he want out of you? To lead them right. Shepherd them correctly. Okay. These are all the means, but what is the end? What does what does the shepherd get from the sheep? Obedience. Okay. <clears throat> Loyalty. That's a legitimate relationship. The shepherd legitimately paid for the flock for each individual sheep. He paid for it. You know, he has proof of his of, of pay. But what does he so get? He, he would own return. the entire sheep, body and soul. But he, he would, and so he, he, he would consider, like if he says his voice, Listen to the shepherd. You obey the shepherd. And you follow the shepherd. Follow what, what end that you're looking for. They want some rain from sacred. Is there a specific word? But that's benefit for, for the sheep. I'm talking about a benefit for the shepherd. What does the shepherd get? We're all focused on, on us. Let's think about well, that. What, what, is, what is he trying? What is the thief? Of, let's put it this way. The thief and the robber see something of value there, right? Otherwise, he would try to sneak in. What is he trying to steal that belongs legitimately instead to the shepherd? Worship. Worship. Remember what just happened a few verses before when the, when the man who was born blind now has his, not only his physical eyes open, but his eyes of his heart. How does he, what does he give back to the one who healed him? Worship. What does Jesus tell in chapter 4, the woman at the well, that the Father is seeking? True 
worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth. Wow. That now suddenly puts these thieves and robbers into a very bad light because what yeah, they're trying to do is take that worship that is due to Christ for themselves. <laughs> oh. I don't know if they really stop and think about that, but now you may understand a little bit why it, God is really ticked off at these people to do this. Because not only are you leading people astray in terms of their own eternal destiny, there is something to be said for that. But you are robbing God of the worship that's due to him. When you don't teach the word of God accurately and you don't portray Jesus in the light that he deserves, right? That's why I love Paul's statement that's sort of like the guiding principle for the whole study, the glory of the Father in the face of Jesus. When you don't disclose the glory of the Father in the face of Jesus, um, <clears throat> because <clears throat> people like, they sort of tend to elevate somebody. You, you've probably been to conference. I have too. You know, we went to this conference back in the fall. And uh, actually, we went back up. Even before that, when we when we went on this, those of us spiritual ones in the church who went on this uh, Ark Encounter trip, you know, uh, we were at one point we were sitting there in this big, big uh, I don't want to say cafeteria, but it was kind of cafeteria style restaurant they had there, and and all of a sudden we see Ken Ham walking through there. Hey, Ken Ham, look at that, you know, right? It's it's just. When you see somebody like that to, who's been a, a teacher and you have respect for them, it's hard not to kind of maybe <clears throat> give them some of that honor. And, and there's a sense in which there's honor due to people like that, you know, when you see them in person or, or whatever. But uh, these false, these Pharisees especially, Jesus criticized them, remember, by saying, you guys love that greeting in the marketplace, right? Ooh, Rabbi, teacher. And, and the place of honor at the feast, and and oh, Rabbi so and so is coming. Uh, it's not Sunday, right? So it's the Sabbath, right? They're coming into, and we have we have the VIP row for you right here, right? And these guys that Jesus is talking to love that. Yeah, they do. They love that. They eat that up. That glory is due to God, not to you. I think that's that's one of the main Peter when he goes on to describe these guys, one of the main characteristics that mark a false teacher arrogance. Arrogance. And, and they put themselves forward and they don't there's a place for accepting, you know, boy, I really enjoyed that message. Oh, praise the Lord, great. Thank you. And, but but not to call attention to me, but to him. Amen. Right? Amen. And and to and to and because the issue is not me. I, I am just in much as need of the grace as anybody, right? It's all about him. And so I, I think that's what's going on here is all who come before me were thieves and robbers. <clears throat> the sheep did not listen to them. How do you know when you're hearing false versus true teaching, right? The word of God. I think at the end of the day is who does it glorify? When you walk out, boy, I feel good. And you, know, you go to a church or something, and man, boy, you're really encouraged. Now, what you do? 
But do you see Christ a little bit more clearly? Is he honored a little bit more in your thinking? Or is it how it makes me feel when I come out? Right? Who is it? Who are they bringing your attention to? It's the worship that's due to him that they steal. And that is a scary place to be. So that's um, that's number one, and we're we're pretty much at, at our time here. Uh, the relationship of the door to the false leaders. Let me just introduce number two. We do have a couple minutes, and then we'll finish up. Relationship of the door now to the sheep. Let's get on to verse nine. Uh, <clears throat> he says, "I am the door." He says again. Now this time, in say of the sheep, doesn't need to. He's already said that. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be what? Saved. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. I put down here, Jesus expands on his relationship to the sheep as their access to salvation and blessing. Now, hold on a second. If you're paying close attention, when he set the stage earlier in the first five verses, what was the direction the sheep were going? Look at verse 3. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and what? Leads them out. out. Here in verse 9, anyone what? Enters by me. He'd be saved. A door has two sides, right? There was this little song we used to sing when I was a kid. One door and only one. Yet the sides are two. I'm on the inside. Which side are you? Oh, you're on the inside. Unless the inside is the wrong side to be on. Yeah. Notice that the first part where he says leads them out. <clears throat> what is he leading these his sheep out from? There's a there's a whole thought that possible. Yeah, the Jewish system. Right. How do we know this? Well, he's going to expand on this quite a bit later in John 17. You can take the time to do it yourself. But he's he's going to talk about in the whole upper room discourse where a lot of this is revealed. By the way, John 14, 6 really amplifies and picks up on this where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? That's that's again, that's a legitimate access. Um, but the, he's going to expand by that, and he's going to talk about. I have sheep who are not of this fold, but them also I must bring, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So what he's when you put all of this, this whole metaphor together from the Gospel of John, you get this idea that there's one sheepfold over here, that's the nation Israel. There's another sheepfold over there, that's the Gentiles, but there's one shepherd who has sheep in both folds that know him and he knows them and he calls both of them out of those systems where they were before and into another sheepfold. Does that make sense? So he is both the calling out when he says, I am the door, I am the one out of that system. I am the exit strategy when you get sick and tired of this religious system that isn't cutting it for you or you get sick and tired of your life of alcoholism and you're 35 years old laying on the bed and you're, you're on death's door, so to speak. I tried it my way, and it didn't work very well. I want an exit. 
vehicle. He is the exit. Now, door acts like that, doesn't it? For some, depending on which side you're on and what the purpose is, the same door can be an exit, but it can also be an entrance, right? Think about this door in the back. Right now, because we're all in here, it's an exit. When you're coming up the stairs, coming into the service, it's an entrance. Same door, two purposes. Jesus is both of those things. He is the exit out of the Jewish religious system that in the chapter, two chapters before, he says, you're the father of the devil. The devil is the one behind the system. If you want to get out of this system, I'm the way out. But he is also the one who is the one that provides legitimate access to the Father, or in this context here, will be saved, right? How can I be saved? Anyone who enters by me will be saved. Come out of the system and enter into salvation, right? How do you do that? One door, two purposes. In one case, in one case it's an exit, and in another case, the same door and an entrance, right into the next one. Isn't that good? <clears throat> but not, not, not only that, but you will go in and out and find pasture. So, so he is, he doesn't say, oh, there's another door, you know, on the other side of the room or the fold that will then provide that. He's the same door, right? So don't take us too far because if you walk through, you get two doors. Let's say you're exiting, one door exits from one room and is the entrance to the next, right? You know? Again, depending on which side. If you turn around and try to go back through that same door, you'll go back into the same system. He's not saying that. He's not saying you're going to go back into the same system through me again. It's a permanent exit out of that system, entrance into God's system. But now, everything that God had, not just, not just salvation, which is getting out of that system, but now the nourishment and the blessings and, and everything that God the Father wants to give you comes through me. Right? You'll go in and out and you'll find pasture. And that's why um, at the top of the notes here, um, I'm sorry, not the top of the notes, but right at the, right at the bottom of page one, I remind <clears throat> us of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 19 and 20, for all the promises of God find their yes. That's how you find a pasture. That's why Israel <clears throat> still to this day does not have the full realization of the covenant promises that God gave to their forefathers because they said no to Jesus. Jesus is the means through which God the Father wants to bless the nation Israel. And until they say yes, they can't have it. And the same is true for us, right? You can't have salvation. You can't have forgiveness of sins and Perfect righteousness applied to your account so that you can live in eternity with God and escape the judgment of God in hell. You can't have that except you come through Christ. That's it. He is the means by which all the promises of God are fulfilled. No exception. All right. So that's the relationship of the door to Jesus. <clears throat> and uh, get further than one. I felt like two minutes to make it one. <clears throat> Next time we'll pick up um, we'll, we'll pick up with point number three and finish this out.
Father, thank you that there is a way, a way out. Um, we look at the world around us, and, and uh, sometimes I get, uh, I think when you're younger, you know, you, you're full of optimism, and the world looks a lot brighter. But as you live in the world for any length of time, we become disillusioned. It doesn't really take very long to realize that the leaders that we put our trust in lie to us. Even those that we think are of our party and not just the other one. And then we ourselves, if we put trust in ourselves, we, if we're really honest, uh, let, our, let ourselves down. And we don't live up to even the standards we have. We can't even keep a handful of uh, New Year's resolutions, let alone uh, maintain growth and, and, and maturity in our, in our own lives over the long haul um, without without shortcomings. Because this world system is passing away. Um, <clears throat> history shows us that, and even our current events. And so, as we look around. If we're really honest, like bumper sticker says, beat me up, Scotty. Um, we want to find an exit, but we thank you that you've provided that exit. That really, that what's wrong with the world is not which political party is in control or whether or not we have capitalism, communism, or all these other things. But what's wrong with the world is sin, and 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 the rebellion of Satan and and of, of wicked men and women who like ourselves have have uh, identity in Adam like ourselves at one time and identity in Adam and, and are in rebellion against you. <clears throat> no economic system is going to fix that Lord, but you have promised to fix it and you are calling out some to follow you. We thank you that there is an exit and then we thank you that there is an entrance as well. An entrance to heaven. There is a way in which we can be reconciled to the Holy God, and we can be made right, and we can eventually one day live in your presence and see your face. That is an amazing, amazing outcome. And the glory belongs to you, not to any of us, because it's your calling, it's your doing. You're the door. You're the one who opened that exit and entrance and, uh, and uh, paid that price. The glory belongs to you. Be with us uh, this afternoon. Uh, bring uh, others to think of uh, Adeta and Danny and others, Lord, that we help them and join us as we continue our journey. Mark, and we just pray for this coming week that you will bless it for your glory. In Jesus' name.